that you are here joining us today. And we have a great day for us. It's kind of a, it's an exciting day, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in the announcements coming up. But just sit back, enjoy, participate. We're glad that you're here. Let's go into a couple announcements. The first one is uh, we have a pep rally today and a tailgate party today at 1130. Come on down, bring some food for you. Bring some lawn chairs. We're going to sit out socially distanced, but we're going to be able to see everybody for the first time in a long period. And uh, come and join us. I think it'll be a great time. Again, that's at 1130. Also, the Cottonwood Road is still being worked on and closed down for construction. You go north on Cottonwood from Huffine, turn left on Fallon Street, and then take the first right onto Automotive Avenue. And this will lead you straight into the church. We will be reopening for public worship next Sunday on Memorial Day weekend. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. Come and to find out more specifically, go to our website, look under news and updates, and for the specific details of service times. We can't wait to see you. That'll be a great, great time. Finally, if you have a family member who's graduating from high school this spring, please email Misty, uh, and this is it. It's Misty, I, I, yeah, Misty R at springhillpress.com with the name, the future plans, and a photo so we can celebrate their achievements by Wednesday, May 27th. If you missed all that information, give the church a call. We'll put you through to Misty and get it all taken up for you. So those are the announcements. And as we head into worship, we want to have a call to worship. And our scripture today is out of Psalm 5. And let me read this to you. Psalm 5, 7 to 8 and 11 through 12. So if you have your scriptures, you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 5. But I, through the, the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your home. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. That all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield.
Almighty and merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and one another in both our actions and our inactions. We recognize that in Jesus Christ, our light has come, yet often we choose to walk in shadows and ignore the light. Gracious God, forgive our sins and remove from us the veil of darkness that shrouds our lives. Illumined by your word and sacrament, may we rise to the radiance of Christ's glory. Amen. Hear this assurance of pardon from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thanks be to God. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is more, child of back over our last week and we remember those times where we've wandered, where we've went astray from you, um, God, that you have washed us white as snow and we, we thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the grace and the mercy that you bring in our lives. And so, um, God, right now, uh, wherever we are, uh, we just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, God, that you would shape us and mold us and make us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you give us eyes to watch for you now, ears to hear you, and hearts to know you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good morning, Spring Hill. I, uh, I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I was sharing with the, the band uh, today. 
I cannot wait to see our, our sanctuary with people in it next Sunday and um, praying that we get sunshine on, uh, on Memorial Day weekend, that we can gather together outside as well. I just want to reiterate uh, what Dean shared with you earlier, that um, we're going to have two services next Sunday, um, 9 o'clock. If your legacy has been your home, please, please come and join us here uh, at the Bozeman site. We're going to have social distancing applied appropriately with hand sanitizers and uh, also want to encourage you to bring your face masks. And then at 11 o'clock, um, we're going to be outside. If it's a day like today, we're doing it. Uh, we're planning on it. Um, as long as it's not raining, come and join us out on the back lawn uh, for that service as well. But also, we recognize some of you uh, will still need to be in your homes worshiping. And so um, your service is also at 9 o'clock uh, next Sunday. Um, join us online. Uh, we will still uh, be with you in, in worship. But for today, um, we're having a pep rally for all that. I uh, want to invite you to come to church at 1130. Uh, bring your tailgate, bring some picnic, and uh, just low-key, it's just a, a luncheon after church. We're just going to hang out with one another uh, in the, the Spring Hill parking lot here at the Bozeman site. Um, but as for today, as uh, we're jumping back into this, this series uh, that we've called Courageous Leadership Uncertain Times, we're going to turn to chapter 5 of Nehemiah this morning, chapter 5. And I have to say, you know, the more that I've poured over this story, the more that I've come to realize just how much I need this word of God in my life. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, Nehemiah is such an encouraging word for, uh, for these times that we're walking through. And um, let me just lay out what's happened this week in my own world. Um, Monday evening, my family went out for a walk. And as the front door locked behind us, I asked my wife, Jen, I said, do you have keys? And her eyes got really big. She said, no. Do you have keys? And I said, no. And I'm thinking, it's all good. Maybe the sliding glass door will be unlocked. And so we go and check that, but no go. And I'm thinking, well, maybe one of the cars will be unlocked. We can hit the garage door opener. And that didn't work. And so we went around. We checked every window. We checked every door. The sun's going down, and it's getting cold. And finally, I thought, forget it. And I Googled the highest rated locksmith in town. Great guy, like really good at his job a little too good at his job. And uh, in the course of him breaking into my house, I asked him how business was going. And get this, he said in one evening, in one evening, I was his seventh customer. This kid is making bank. Business is at an all-time high. And I asked him, I said, what's up with that? He said, it's pretty clear, isn't it? We've all lost our minds. But I share that story with you to say this. What's notable about the book of Nehemiah is that God's word gives us these tools for what it looks like to stand on a firm foundation when we find ourselves in this ongoing fog that is so often this life. You know, on the one hand, this COVID thing seems to be in our, our rearview mirror in the, the last lap, maybe just for now, um, and yet the cleanup is still with us. Finances and mental health and plexiglass walls and protocols Frustrations of who is right and who is wrong and conspiracy theories and 14-day quarantines that no one's following anyway. And it's almost as if life goes on, but now with this added layer of this complicated muck. I read a story this week from Harvard that said there's over 15,000 books on leadership in print. 15,000 books. And every one of them takes a different approach. Everyone brings a different nuance of what leadership looks like in times like these. Um, but here's the problem with that. There has never been a time like this. 
whether it's the seismic shift in our politics or this new phenomenon of globalization or technology or pandemics, we're walking brand new territory every day. But if you believe the scriptures to be sufficient, and if you believe Jesus to be the author and perfective of our faith, then what we find is this. We find that God's word gives us everything we need. And so kind of as a microcosm of that, Nehemiah is a master's class on what it looks like to lead in a world that frankly, I think for many of us, doesn't make sense anymore. So this morning, we're going to open up this fifth chapter together, and we're going to find just how relevant God's word really is, because every time Nehemiah makes some progress in his life, um, every time that he adds a few more bricks to this new wall that he's building, every time that he takes a step in the right direction, he's knocked back a few steps with a new wave of challenges. And if you think about it, that's really the rhythm of life, whatever we're going through. It's been a few weeks since we uh, were last in Nehemiah, so let me just quickly recap where we've been. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was the king's right-hand man in a government that held his own people captive. And for an Israelite in captivity, that was about as good as he could get. But then life suddenly changed rapidly, and King Cyrus allows God's people to return home. And what they find is complete and utter devastation, So they bring this first-hand witness back home to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah can't stand the idea of living this posh life in his his own quarters while his hometown sits destroyed. And so he decides he's got to go back and do something about this. And in our last sermon, we learned that right off the bat, as soon as he arrives to town, every external force imaginable was against this man. There was not one neighboring empire in any direction that was in favor of rebuilding that wall. They threatened him, and they sabotaged his crew, and up until this point, it's clear that Nehemiah's trials will continue from the outside. So much so that where we left off was Nehemiah giving his men bricks in one hand and weapons in the other in order to work on this wall. But this morning, we're going to find that life gets really complicated, and there's a curveball tossed in the mix, because we're about to learn that a famine, of all things, has now struck the land. A socioeconomic disaster has hit the entire region, and now circumstances that are completely outside of Nehemiah's control have caused so much frustration and grief in his people that his work crews are ready to throw in the towel yet again. But this strike isn't really about famine. It's not about an outside threat anymore. This is now about God's people turning on one another from within. So I want to do something a little bit different today, and rather than read the passage all at once, I just want us to walk through this. We're going to do this chapter uh, verse by verse this morning. So turn to chapter 5 with me, if you would, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, or 1 through 4 to begin, 1 through 4. Let's listen to God's word. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, For there were those who said, with our sons and daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and sleep and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is at the flesh of our brothers and our children as are their children Yet we are focusing or forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. 
Let me just break this down for a minute. The destruction of Jerusalem has been set aside now for an entirely new crisis. No one's concerned anymore with the wall. No one's been looking at how to rebuild. No one's thinking about this this threat from the enemy because people are now financially ruined and starving and frustrated and lost. And there's three groups of Israelites that God's word tells us are being impacted by this famine. First, there's families who owned no land and are now scraping to get by. Second, there are families who own property but now had taken out a security on a loan in order to eat and now their property is at stake. And third, and this is the devastating part, there are families who are so desperate that they're giving away their own children into slavery just to make ends meet. And in the end, the entire challenge that Nehemiah now faces boils down to two things, self-serving agendas and money. There's not enough money to eat, There's not enough money to live, and there's certainly not enough money to continue building the wall. And in the meantime, some of the flock are now planning to capitalize on the crisis at the expense of others. Now, just stay with me for a minute and tell me if you agree. You can throw it in the comments. Fast forward to 2020. Same story, different circumstance. Same story, different plague. A month ago, all of our eyes were on this new crisis, right? This spongy-looking ball with spikes on it. That was the common enemy. We were all on the same page. Stay home, stay safe. We're all in this together. That's what we were told. And yet within weeks, we realized it's not true. Out of nowhere comes this new sub-crisis, right? And all these new challenges that now bring this brand new fragmentation of our culture. And I don't have to list all of the fragments. We know them all well. But just imagine this, all Nehemiah wants to do is rebuild. All he wants to do is see his city restored and the worship of God's people re-engaged and just about as soon as they get into this new rhythm of fending off their enemies and rebuilding their town, famine strikes the land. And now instead of a common enemy, these circumstances are outside of everyone's control and yet they cause an enemy to emerge from within the Jewish faithful. Because some can only think of themselves. Look at how Nehemiah explains this, continuing on in verse 6. He says, And I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his own brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we have able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they might be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. Let me translate that for just a minute. Nehemiah watched as his own people turned on each other. The bottom line is some were capitalizing while the rest were suffering. They were loaning money with high interest and price gouging each other. And then they were forcing indentured slavery on their own people despite the fact that they had all just been released out of captivity and slavery. And here's the fun part. Um, The book of Exodus and the Mosaic law forbids God's people to do this ever. To demand interest from those who are on the outside, that was fine, right? But to place interest-bearing loans on one another from within the flock, that was an offense to God. 
Because the plan from the beginning, whether it was Israel or for the church, was for God's people to look different than the world. For God's people to become this unique and enticing witness set apart from the greedy ways of society. It reminds me of that famous verse in Philippians 2.14 where Paul tells us not to look to our own interests but first to the interests of others and then he tells us this is the mindset of Christ Jesus. And yet I think the temptation of life, particularly when we found ourselves in a marathon, is to begin thinking about me. I love how Sinclair Ferguson explained this predicament of Nehemiah. He said, God's work by God's people will always face opposition, not only from the outside, but if we're not careful, from within. You know, if you think about it here at Spring Hill, um, we'll put the visioning up on the board here. We spent months praying about who was God's calling us to be, right? The elders poured into this, this new vision. We came out with this, this life-giving statement about who we believe God has led us as a church to become. We said we want to be a church to call home where relationships flourish and generations connect and neighbors are loved for the glory of God. In other words, in a spiritually destitute and homeless world, we want people to come home to church and to Christ in our midst. So we put out the signs and we kicked off the sermon series and not any sooner than we complete the rollout and settle in, we realized that this church to call home thing just got really complicated because a plague of our own has now struck the land. Circumstances beyond our control now play into life together. And so first we began weeks ago by asking this really odd question of what does it mean to be a church to call home away from home? But now the questions get deeper, much deeper. What does it mean to have flourishing relationships with differences of opinion on who's right and who's wrong? And what does it mean to have generations connect when older populations are now the most vulnerable and our younger populations feel invincible and our youngest population is quite confused about what life is? And what does it mean to love our neighbor when some of us are all about the classic face mask now and others of us see it as a sign of oppression? And assuming that all those pieces are still our vision... What does life look like as we continue to pursue the glory of God together? You know, I think in the case of Nehemiah, we see firsthand this caution tape that if we're not careful, our own ideas and our own motives and our own prejudice might become a stumbling block to God's work, not from the outside, but from within. Chuck Swindoll writes this really neat story about a small town in eastern Pennsylvania um, that had finally passed a levy to build a brand new emergency center. It was to include this two-brick story building that would be a place for the police department, the fire department, and city hall, and this was a big deal. The ribbon-cutting ceremony, they said, was the largest event the town had had in decades. It was the most unifying rally they had ever experienced. But within two months, they began to notice cracks in the walls, a few minutes after that, the windows and the doors wouldn't shut, and then the floor shifted and the roof began to leak. And within just one year, the building was condemned. Investigators were brought in to see what had happened, and the architect and engineers were beside themselves, just embarrassed. And they found that underneath the structure, something had shifted the earth. They poured into this for months, and their conclusion was quite tragic, 
they realized that there was this daily underground explosion from a nearby mining facility, and the shockwaves reverberated for miles until they destroyed the foundation of that city's pride and joy. No one could see them. No one felt them on the surface. But underneath, the entire foundation was falling apart. Which begs the question, where are the cracks in your own life right now? Where are your doors and your windows a little off kilter? Where have you maybe taken your eyes off the mission of Christ and instead focused far too heavily on what's right in front of us? And why is that? You know, I think the thing about corrosion and the thing about shockwaves from deep within is that over time, the building's going to come down. I want to share with you three takeaways, I think, for how we might navigate all that this week. Three ways that, that Nehemiah navigated leadership in, in, in this, the midst of this outside, uh, out, of, uh, out of his control threat. And the first is this, um, take counsel with yourself. Did you see that in verse 7? The first one, take counsel with yourself. I love this. Nehemiah hears uh, this cry of this injustice, and he knows things are not right, and he's angry, but rather than allowing the enemy to get the upper hand, the Bible tells us before he speaks a word, he takes counsel with himself. Now, for some of us, that might be a scary thought, Uh, but don't miss the point. Nehemiah takes a moment to consider himself in the bigger picture. He wrestles with what he's about to do and the words he's about to say and how that might impact those around him. You know, I I feel like we've now entered into this season where we have this new opportunity to reflect, right? To take counsel with ourselves. To consider how did we respond over the last few months to life and why is that? And what might God be teaching us in that and how might he be refining us through that? And have our eyes been on him and when they've taken the focus off, Have we wandered away? And what does that say about our relationship with him? See, because I can promise you, if we allow it, the enemy would love nothing more to take the circumstances of life right now and distract us from the prize that is Christ. Which leads me to the second point, and that is if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. You know, I think we've been scattered as a body for too long, um, which means some of us have been doing this faith journey for the last weeks and, and months alone. The Bible tells us clearly that's not a, a good thing because the entire concept of, of being the church is to worship while spurring one another on. And what I love about this passage, though, is that Nehemiah sees what's wrong and he's willing to call it out. He sees his fellow brothers wandering from God's command and he tackles the problem head on. So much so that the crowd is left speechless. If you see something, say something. Maybe some more questions. What relationship in your own life uh, where in your what what relationship in your own life has seen some distance that needs to be rekindled again? Where have you seen your own eyes or the eyes of your loved ones wander? And what might we do about that? Maybe it's our marriage or maybe we feel distant from a friend suddenly or maybe it's our children or maybe it's the Lord himself. But I think for us to pretend that life is the same is not leadership. Godly leadership is helping others around us see the reality that's now in front of us and then leading one another back to him. 
Which leads me to this last point that we find in Nehemiah's word this morning. To renew our vow to walk in the fear of the Lord. Do you see how Nehemiah says this? Look at this in verse 9. He said, So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of our nations and our enemies? And the people stood silent. It's not an anxious fear that Nehemiah is talking about. It's, it's, it's not a God-smiting kind of fear that Nehemiah is referring to. It's a reverence. It's an honor of the Lord with your life. A, a whom shall I fear kind of fear. And what fascinates me about Nehemiah is right here, he follows his words with actions. Right? Like this man could have solved every problem in his own life by going back to what was. He was the cupbearer to the king, right? In the midst of a famine. He could have easily headed back to where the wine and the food was abundant. But his passion and his vision for what God was still doing and bringing restoration to his people led him to stay the course anyway. And watch what happens as Nehemiah not only talks about fearing the Lord, but puts this into practice. Look at this in verse 10. He says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields and vineyards and olive orchards, their houses and percentage of money and grain and wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then the congregation said, We will restore and require nothing of them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Friends, this week there is someone, I promise you, who is looking for you to lead them back to Christ in this. There is someone still in the fog that needs to hear God's word spoken through you so that they might land on solid ground again. They are looking to our example and they are looking to the words that we speak. So if you lose your keys this week, I've got the right man for you. But what scripture really teaches us today is that no matter the circumstance, who we really need to be reaching out to, who we really need to call on, is the Lord Almighty. And so whatever you're faced with this week, the encouragement that Nehemiah gives us is to lean back into him. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. God, we confess that we have all wandered, we've all gone astray, Lord. And God, where there was a common goal to defeat a common enemy, we also know that there is now distraction and dysfunction and disagreements and conflicts in our culture. Lord, would you unify us? As we come back together next week, would you help us to stay focused on the common goal that is Jesus Christ? Lord, would you lead us in our own lives to return to you, to be restored to you in right relationship, God? This week, keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. amen. As we hit spring, remember to give, go ahead and go to the website, and there's areas to uh, give there. But also, if you want to just send in a check for, uh, to the Bozeman site, both would work great. Let's pray for the offering.
Father, thank you again how you have blessed us. You've blessed us with a relationship with you. You have blessed us with all sorts of spiritual blessings. And Father, as we look around, we see how you have um, just blessed us with all sorts of um, just life. Thank you for that blessing. Father, as we head into the worship of offering, we pray that we would give joyfully, thankfully. Father, we thank you now as we pray in your son's name. Amen. wish you an incredible, awesome, God-glorifying week. Uh, but for now, we hope to see you in the Bozeman site parking lot at 1130. Come on down uh, and uh, bring your food and we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy a good time uh, together. But for now, as you leave uh, your homes, wherever you might go, hear this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.